I'll be honest, there are many times that I that I wonder, is there any hope left for the Western world in the days and years ahead? Have we lost entire generations of, of young people on the altar of expediency and narcissism? Is there any way to undo the indoctrination they're receiving? This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome to the Tuesday edition of Truth to Ponder. And I am your host, Bob Bierman. Yesterday we spent a good chunk of the program talking about some of the the disturbing headlines that are out there. Maybe not all the ones that are getting the top billing at CNN or the New York Times or even Fox News for that matter. We looked at some headlines that are out there every day. But in all the noise... In all the noise of the things to grab our attention, there are a lot of things that are happening that make this world increasingly dangerous and increasingly in deep trouble. A lot of people don't see it. I was thinking the other night what it was like when I went to school 50 some odd years ago, high school. I graduated 50 years ago this year. And what a different world we live in today. A lot of us as parents, we never paid much attention to our school systems because, at least in my case, in my case, I I went to a very academically challenging and just a wonderful high school with teachers that really cared. They weren't there to instill a new set of values in me. They wanted me to learn how to do Mathematics, even some advanced mathematics. They wanted me to understand the English language, how to write, how to communicate. A foundation in unbiased history, and also the ability to think critically for myself, given a set of facts. There was none of this back when I came along. I can remember the first Earth Day. We weren't even pushed into buying into the world is going to freeze over by the year whatever it was 1985 or 1990 it was going to be the ice age that never happened we were made aware of the environment we were made aware that we should be good stewards of this earth and there's nothing wrong with that that's also very biblical to be a good steward to be a good caretaker we're not to trash the planet We are to use the resources. Nothing wrong with that. But be good stewards of this planet. Over these past 50 years, a lot has changed. A lot has changed in the mindset of education. And and the more, the closer I look, look, it was getting bad. I can remember back in the 1990s, late 80s, early 90s, people like Phyllis Schlafly, who was at Eagle Forum, I can remember her years ago, warning about the direction that education was going to go. Now, did I pay a whole lot of attention? Not really, because where I was living at at the time, in a small town in northeast Georgia, the kind of thing she was warning about seemed a million miles away. And I think back to the years that I was in high school, maybe 20 years prior to that. And and a lot of what was being said, a lot of the warnings being given just just seemed so far 
fetched that it was hard to, to fathom, at least, like I say, where I lived. But over time, education has changed. Over time, the purpose of education has been hijacked. It's been hijacked more for politics, social justice, and to be honest, the cult of earth worship. Let me say that one again in case you missed it. The cult of earth worship. And when you get into this cult of earth worship, all kinds of very, very negative things begin to happen. Parents are told in Scripture that it's a it's really an awesome and, and wonderful responsibility in the raising of children. And we are commanded as parents to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That does that doesn't mean terror. That doesn't mean, you know, to live cowering. That is to have a great respect. That's been lost in generations. When I came along, parents took their children to church. Not all, but I would say a significant part of the population here in the United States took their children to church. The greatest generation, my dad was a member of that. My wife's father was a member of that in World War II himself, like my dad was. They, they went through the Depression years. They knew what hard times were all about. And when we came along in the late 40s and 50s, they were determined that we would have a better life. And for many, that meant indulging a little bit too much. Then came the, what I call the hippie generation of the 60s. It kind of moved our mindset to look at ourselves and push aside God. And those people took over academia, and now they're taking over the highest positions they have for decades of our entire educational system. I've said it a hundred times in this program. Many of our public schools in the United States, definitely in Canada, the UK, and Australia, New Zealand, they become public indoctrination centers to capture the minds of your children and remold them in the image of the state. And I've long been an advocate of Christian schools and also homeschooling. Funny, I made a friend a number of years ago on the internet, I can't remember how, through Facebook. Her name is Leah Gurton, and she is the mother of a number of children that she has homeschooled, and I welcome her to the program. So so tell me, what inspired you to be a homeschool parent? Well, when I had my first child, it really made me think about the time, you know, when I was a teenager. And I knew the problems that I had gone through um, and the things that, that not feeling protected and just going through a very hard time, as most people call troubled teen years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking my mom, Mom, do you have any friends or know anyone? Because I was trying to figure out what can I do to avoid this for my own children. So I asked my mother, I said, Mom, do you know of anyone that didn't go through that with their kids? And she sat there for a second, and she said no. And I thought, oh, dear. So I started praying. I'm in trouble. (laughs) In other words, it's not going to be an easy. Yeah, I know. I've been there. 
So I started praying because I, I really wanted to avoid that for my own children. Um, because the, the effects of things that the, the decisions that, you know, teens make affect them for the rest of their life. Often mm-hmm. the consequences can. And so I started to meet locally families who were very different. And I noticed that their teenagers and young adults were very um, confident and well-spoken and secure and more, even more so what struck me was that they had remained chaste um, during mm-hmm. their teen years. Mm-hmm. And that was very impressive to me. And I, I started to realize, wow, these, these guys are all homeschooled. Yeah, they so are. That is, yeah. <laughs> so that is what, what was kind of my beginning into considering homeschooling. Mm-hmm was at that point in time was seeing the fruits of it in other families. And, um, initially I was very depressed about it because I thought, how am I going to homeschool my kids and yeah. have them with me all day, every day? Mm-hmm. And, and, like and, a, and, and of course, and of course, you know, those that are in, let's be honest in public education in particular, do not like the competition of homeschool. They just don't and, and never have and yeah. never will. Uh, the state government, the taxing authorities, their their thought process is we own education. Everybody else is substandard, um, unless it's our kids we want to keep out of the public school. I've seen that before too. But but in other words, they don't make it easy in some states, and and I'm not all. Some yeah. states are are more homeschool friendly than others. That has been my experience. Uh, what has your experience been? And, and if you don't mind saying, where have you, where did you start this process and, and where are you living now and doing it? And, and is it an issue where you live? Yes. Yeah, so initially we were in California and um, California is, is homeschool friendly as far as um, the, the hoops that you have to jump are very few. Um, however, now we live in Michigan. My husband's job, job brought us here, and there are no homeschool laws here in the state of Michigan. Mm-hmm. So I did not have to, um, you know, contact our local public school district to let them know I even had children here and were homeschooling them. So it's been great. I have no paperwork to turn in. I have full, complete authority over my children's education. So it's interesting because a lot of people think, well, don't you homeschool a little differently now that you don't have any rules? And no, absolutely not. I do the same I did with my children in California as I do here. A lot of people say, oh, homeschoolers need more oversight. They do not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad you brought that up. Let's talk about some of what I I consider the most outrageous and ridiculous objections to homeschooling. Now, of course, there are cases. I get it. Been around long enough, where some parents are just simply not equipped, able, or really have their heart in it, and that's going to be. Uh, it's not going to work in time. You're going to have to send them back to school. But many parents, and apparently you are one of them, and I've known many in my lifetime, that have taken on this mantle of godly responsibility, and in spite of maybe even their own shortcomings in, in many cases that I've seen, both the parent and the child ultimately excels in all of this process. Uh, I've met too many homeschool kids that the longer yeah. they've been homeschooled, mm-hmm. the better they are academically. Uh, they're generally farther ahead of their public school counterparts. 
uh, which is understandable because public school today teaches to the lowest common denominator, not trying to bring everybody up, but trying to keep everybody at an even keel so they can have a good graduation rate. That's been my experience. Now, mm-hmm. academically, you know, we're, I'm, I'm sure I'm asking a question you've been asked a thousand times before. How do your children do academically compared to their, let's say, same age peers? Not same grade, but same age peers. So I can say that um, my, our oldest, he'll be 22 this year. Mm -hmm. And he graduated from our local um, college, which is, it's like a community college, which Mm -hmm. is 3.28. His English professor in the middle of the year told my son that he no longer needed him to write any more papers because he clearly excelled in writing Mm -hmm. and he was going to give him an A. Now, so that's what happened. So he literally stopped taking the class and he was given an A. So that's how well he was doing, you know, academically. Do I agree with that? No. <laughs> I think he should have continued to write. Um, I don't want my children getting a free pass just because they're doing well at something. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, the standards in the public schools, I have been told at our local, the, the kids that attend our local community college after graduating, from their homeschooling um, program, they find that their college classes are very easy. Oh, yeah. Probably too easy. Not as challenging. Mm-hmm. That's true. I've, I've run, so. you're, you're saying something that I have heard over and over again uh, for over 25 years uh, since I've really been paying mm-hmm. attention to the homeschool movement and, and its increasing uh, importance in the lives of, our, of the next generation. Because I, I just think, this is my opinion, and you may or may not share it, but our schools have been in this this whole mantra of being political in, in too many areas. Not, not every state, not every school, not every district, but increasingly there is this cancerous creep into the school system that is diminishing academics, lowering the standards, and being more concerned with social justice, uh, climate change, uh, sexuality, and things yeah. that really have nothing to do with, with you know the basics of what an education should be. Education should be giving students the tools of understanding mathematics, English language, and unbiased history the way that let the chips fall where they may, and learn how to use rational thought. And that's what at least 50 years ago when I graduated high school, we were still allowed to think for ourselves and and make our own point. Today, that's not even allowed anymore. Right. Yes, <clears throat> absolutely. They're not. No one is taught to critically think anymore. How do your children do in that realm? Do they have a hard time with their peers in trying to carry on any kind of a of a topical discussion on any particular given, uh, you know, item of the day? Well. Absolutely not. We have very lively discussions, and I so enjoy their peers, their homeschooled peers. Um, well, that's different. They are all, yes, they are all very different. They look you in the eye when they speak. They have a great sense of humor. They know how to carry on a great conversation. When you are, you know, on a walk outside and you walk back, a typical, I'm not saying all, but a typical public school kid 
They will not look you in the eye. They will look down or at mm-hmm. your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, they shy away from you got that. Listen, you got that right. I have seen that over and over again. And there's something else that I that I've noticed too from recent, not all, but many of the recent high school graduates that they don't even think in terms of answers being right or wrong because everybody's opinion counts. So if you want to believe that two plus three equals seventeen, hey, that's your valid opinion. And who am I to say that it equals five? I actually had that discussion with a high school graduate arguing that. Th- you know, two plus three does not necessarily have to be five in her world. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. this is and this is, is a graduate. No, there is no absolute right. There is no absolute truth for many children that have been indoctrinated in the public school education. Mm-hmm. Now, w- w- one thing while I got a moment here, and it's on my mind. Uh, a lot of people sure. say, well, how difficult is it to homeschool your kids? Is this like an eight or nine hour a day process? Do you have to get up at four in the morning uh, to prepare your <laughs> lessons? And, you know, in other words, they're trying to find out how difficult is it to be a, to be a homeschool mom in this case? It is, it is not difficult in the sense that when I first started homeschooling, I thought, oh, dear, you know, I'm going to have to get up at, you know, early in the morning, start our school day at 8, and end, you know, at 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon because I'm doing, quote, school at home. Mm-hmm. Um, over the years, over the years, it has not presented that, that way at all. Um, that's right. De- depending on the age of the child, um, typically I spend one to maybe three hours a day on formal education. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, beyond that, my children work very independently. Uh, Right now, I'm probably spending, I would say, an hour and a half to two hours of my time on the children directly Mm -hmm. um, in the morning. And the rest of the day, they spend, you know, once they're literate and can read and write, they spend a lot of their own time working independently. My elementary school kids are done by lunch, and they have the rest of the day to pursue and work on things that they enjoy doing, whether it be Mm -hmm. playing outside or sewing or drawing, art, um, anything. They delve into things that they love to do. And that's one thing that my adult children I've noticed is, you know, when my husband, when my son comes home from work, he doesn't, you know, go straight on his phone and just sit down. He goes and plays the piano because he's a he's very good at playing the piano because he's mm-hmm. had so much more time um, that he was able to pursue those things. You know, kids in school, they don't have that kind of time. They get home and they're often scheduled for sports or scheduled for many different things. But I allowed my children to be children and to pursue the things that they enjoy doing. And they became very good at what they do. You know, I've noticed over the years, and and there are some wonderful people, even from the 1800s, that understood how children learn. And much of the way we've been teaching in these structured classrooms since we had public schools as we know them, uh, divided by grade, they, they're not really conducive to the learning experience that God has instilled into children. Uh, there's a curiosity that children have, and if you suppress it and try to steer it and control it, sometimes by the time they get to the point where they should be learning, they've lost the interest to learn. They've, they've lost yeah. their curiosity. And, and I, I watched, yeah. like, for example, this is a Waldorf school that I, that I was familiar with about 20 years ago. 
And I noticed that the young kindergartners, they seemed initially behind their public school counterparts. But by the third grade, they were so far ahead because they had this new desire to learn. They were curious. They learned how to ask questions. They learned how to Mm -hmm. dig deeper. They learned how to satisfy their curiosity and and put put the effort in. And I believe that with homeschooling, you have that same opportunity to instill this lifetime desire to learn. School never ends. Yes. You know, the formal learning the building blocks does. But even, look, I'm 67 years old. I'm still learning new things every day. (laughs) I spend a lot of time reading and studying every day. And I don't take everything that somebody tells me at face value. I guess I learned critical thinking way back 50-some-odd years ago. Now, with, with your... So you're giving... To our audience that was curious, now the other objection, and I want to address this real quick, the other objection is, well, if they're not in a public school, or maybe a private, you know, if you have a really big budget, if they're, if they're not in a public, I'm sure you know where I'm going with this, they, they, they don't have any social skills. How many times have you heard that one? You know, yes, many times, and that's what I was addressing earlier when we were speaking about, you know, when you're talking to a child just out in public that's clearly not homeschooled, um, you know, they typically don't want to engage. Um, Like I said, typically, you have the outliers that do. Oh, yeah. Um, But as far as my children, I mean, they mimic their parents and their older siblings. So they learn a lot of the social skills, just being in our family unit. Um, when we're out in public, they look people in the eye, they smile, they wave. If the car drives by, they wave. I mean, these are my young children and it always cheers up, you know, the, whoever's driving by and they wave back, but that's very rare in our society today um, to just have people be friendly with people that they don't know or unfamiliar with in public. And I teach my children to always treat people with kindness and look them in the eye and they, they, they imitate their parents and their older siblings rather than their same age, um, friends or peers, which I mean, it's, they do learn a lot from their same age peers and they, they are around their same age peers, but they learn more from their their adult parents and their older siblings. And that's what I have found for my children is that they have very, very good social skills and they're very comfortable and confident um, kids because they've been raised in an environment that's conducive to that. Have you been able to find where you live now um, other homeschool parents that you can kind of share experience with or... Uh, you know, yes, and that's, that's, that's but what that's a big to. question. I mean, because a lot of people yes. go, I don't know if I can do this on my own. How do I get started? Yes. Whenever I find a parent that is looking into homeschooling or has questions, I always tell them to Google the town that they live in or the county and Google private Christian homeschooling. And oftentimes they will find a co-op or a group mm-hmm. or some some sort of, you know, group, so many different types of things that they can look into. And I know parents that will drive an hour. I belong to a a private Christian homeschooling co-op, and I know people that will drive an hour just to have their kids go attend the classes that we have and 
Um, you know, normally with homeschool co-ops, it's not every day. So maybe it's mm-hmm. once a week or twice a week, depending on the age of the child. But there is a plethora of resources for homeschoolers mm-hmm. today. And that's one thing that, that I've been saying on this program, for those that have listened for any length of time, that I really believe the church at large, you know, the believers in Christ have got to gather together, even put some denominational differences aside and, and agree on the essentials and agree that it is our responsibility for the education, the training and raising of our children. It is not the responsibility of the state to raise and educate your child and instill values into your children. Because the problem today with much of the education lobby is they believe that your children belong to them, that they should be in total control of what your child learns, how your child thinks, and what your child is permitted in this woke culture to believe. And, and, and yeah, that, that is, is what, the, and I find that frightening. Um, and, and it explains over the past generation the falling away of people from from institutions, I'll just use this as a broad term, of faith for the first time in American yeah. history. We have a, a majority of people that have zero identification with anything religious, Christian. doesn't matter if it's Buddhist. doesn't matter if it's Islamic. It doesn't matter, you know, if it's, you know, the, the great hairy muffin uh, religion. They, they don't even have it. They, they've given up on all of it. And, and they don't have any, any instilled values. They, they, they just go day by day, this is my life, and when I'm dead, it's over. And, and there is no God but me, and that's, that's the society we have created. That is the majority of America today. It is now 53% of the United States. And of the 47% that are remaining, many are in apostate churches that are really not true believers, and they, mm-hmm. they, they are, they're more into celebrating causes uh, than they are to celebrate uh, Jesus Christ as the center of their life and their salvation. And, and we, this is where we are today. Do, do you feel sometimes that you're, that you're fighting, you're trying to paddle your canoe upstream in, in this world? I do not feel that way anymore, or actually I don't, because my husband and I have chosen to have our children and ourselves in an environment that Jesus Christ is the center, um, not only in our church, but in our co-op and the friends that my children have um, are raised in the same values and the same rules, like a lot of the children where we live, they are not allowed on electronics, really. They're supposed, they play outside. Um, you really pray and you ask the Lord to lead you where He wants to lead you. And oftentimes, He will bring the people in your life that support the, the lifestyle and the mm-hmm. worldview that you would like to teach your children. So I don't feel, in fact, my children that are now adults, I mean, they see everything for what it is. I've got a daughter, she's in real estate and she just comes home and she just, Oh mom, you know, and tells me all the different things that go on with, you know, her coworkers and things going on in their life and the destruction that happens in people's lives when God is not the center yes. um, of their lives. And we're told about that in his word. It's very clear. God makes the path very clear. Um, and if we do not follow him, then we will 
experience um, that feeling of like you're constantly trying to fight, but if you rest in Him, you can find um, kind of the space that the Lord brings you to, I guess. Uh, it did take a long time to get where we are. You know, I've been homeschooling for 16 years now, but you know, you keep praying for the Lord to lead you, and He does. My guest today on the program is Leah Gurton, and she is the a homeschool mother, and I thought maybe it would be good to bring her on the program. It's somebody that I don't know how God put it together, but she came, became a Facebook friend of mine, I think through a mutual friend a few years ago. And I've been following some of her her journey as a homeschool parent for all these years and and her wonderful and delightful family. And, and I really thought about this a few weeks ago. I really needed to invite her on the program to share from her, her experience. I believe it's the responsibility of us as Christians to take back the education of our children and, and not simply just turn it over to the state to do as the state would desire. That's not what the Bible tells us to do. It says we should raise our children. We should instruct our children. We should be in charge of our children's education. I can remember when the Virginia election for governor was held last year, how the how Terry McAuliffe believed that it was the state's responsibility to decide what your child learns, not yours. You should stay out of it. And thankfully, he lost. Listen, as we go to break real quick, I'd love to hear from you. If you believe in the work that we're doing, would you consider helping us financially with the the airtime radio bill, if you can do that, you can send a gift, large or small, make the check payable to Ancient Word Radio. Ancient Word Radio. Mailing address is 5753 Highway 85 North. 5753 Highway 85 North, number 3248. That is number 3248 in Crestview. The city is Crestview, one word, Florida. 32536, that's zip code again. 32536, and we will be right back. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. One of the strangest of biblical books. Shalom Aleichem. This is the nice Jewish boy, Jonathan Kahn, your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. Purim. It's the Hebrew holiday that falls around March and which is celebrated to remember the events of the book of Esther. Now, the word Purim in Hebrew means lots. It's from that word we get the word lotto and lottery. So having the Feast of Purim is like having a Feast of Lotto. It's about lots and dice and the law of chance. And that's what the book of Esther seems to be about because for a while it seems like it's a book of chance. Everything's out of control. The wicked prosper and the righteous are cast down. and All the twists and turns of the plot, it seems as if everything is out of control. It's random. It's chance. It's all epitomized by the Purim, which is Hebrew for the casting of the lots. And yet, as the story heads to its conclusion, all of a sudden, all those seemingly chance things, those random events, all start coming together. And everything starts turning and working for good. It's the hand of God. And so it is in your life, my friend. You see, your life will often seem to you to be a book of Esther. 
things will happen that you won't understand. You'll try to see the reason for it all, but it will seem hard to make sense of. Sometimes it'll seem that things just happen by chance or for no reason, the Purim. But remember the book of Esther. You see, God promises that as you follow him and press on with him, he'll work all those things in your life, all those things you couldn't understand together for good. That's a promise. Even though sometimes it'll be hard to see, nothing in your life will ever happen for no reason. All those things will work for good. So when you don't understand, trust and press on. And in the end, you can be sure you'll always have more than enough reason to celebrate the Lord's love. Happy Purim. Want more? Ask for the Purim. Now the free gift for you, the incredible evidence and proof of Jesus as Messiah discovered in the writings of the rabbis in the mystery of the temple doors, plus sapphires guaranteed to give you the power of living a victorious life in God, all free. So how do you get all these free gifts? Easy. Just remember Jesus' Hebrew name, Yeshua, and dial it. That's all you do. Just dial 1-800-YESHUA-1 and you'll be so blessed. But call now, 1-800-YESHUA-1. Now, my friend, you're on this earth for a great purpose, to be a blessing. So I invite you to join with me in bringing the greatest blessing to the unreached peoples of this world, salvation to five continents with over a billion people. Just call now, 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Or write me direct, the nice Jewish boy at box 1111, Lodi, New Jersey, 07644. It's the nice Jewish boy, box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. Well, till next time, this is Jonathan Kahn saying Shalom Aleichem. Peace be to you, my friend, in Messiah Adon Olam, Lord of all. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome back to part two of our Tuesday edition of Truth to Ponder. And I'm your host, Bob Bierman. want to remind you of our website. It's a way you can connect with this program if you have internet access. And that address is truth, the number two ponder.com. That is truth, the number two ponder.com. I'm going to ask you a favor. We have been working and we are beginning now to increase our shortwave outreach. As of about a week ago, we expanded. We're now on at midnight Eastern time, but that's 9 p.m. on the West Coast, where the frequency 9455 kilohertz is targeted. We've been getting wonderful reports from Alaska all the way down through Washington State, Oregon, California, into Mexico, Nevada, New Mexico, Colorado, uh, a bunch of the Western states. Great signal, I'm being told, in Hawaii, and also making it into Australia and New Zealand. So we are, we are very thankful for, for all that God has done to open the door. Well, today I'm taking a little break from some of the regular news headlines. Sometimes we, we need to stop and think about the things we need to be doing. And several weeks ago, I, I reached out to somebody that God had put into my path via Facebook, of all things. Don't even know how that happened. Doesn't really matter. Her name is Leah Gurton, and I welcome her back to this part of the program. And if you heard her on the first segment, she was kind of explaining how she got into being a homeschool parent. And if you'd like to contact her, you can always contact her through this program, and I will forward any correspondence you have to her. So as we get back to the program... 
when you look over all this time you have spent as a homeschool mother, I know there have been challenges along the way, when you think of it in its totality, as you look back, do you have any regrets at all? No, absolutely not. I have no regrets. I am a college graduate, um, but, and I, I was, you know, I did have a career, um, but I, as soon as I was ready to give birth to our oldest, I've always known mm-hmm. that the Lord um, created mothers to care for her children. Um, and I knew that that's what I was made to do. You mean and you don't be- you I don't designed. believe you don't believe that <laughs> that the God of this world uh, created daycare centers to do that job for you? <laughs> daycare centers are very sad. I know. I see them, and they're, they're very sad. The children are. Oh boy, they look lost and they cry, and yeah, they have they have good times too. But it's no. <laughs> That's like thinking of Mary sending Jesus to daycare. I mean, what would that look like? Yeah, you know, th- that's very true. Now, here's something that I've thought about this over the years. You know, when I when I think of the daycare dilemma, we we came up with a terminology in the 1990s that that sounded good. It made people feel less guilty about having dual careers, you know, both mom and dad pursuing their careers and their big houses and their cars, their vacations, maybe a second home. Um, and they, but they wanted, they, they also wanted to have quote children, which makes the grandparents happy. But the problem, the problem is we came up with an idea to, to rid ourselves of guilt. And we invented this term called quality time quality time we don't worry about the quantity it's just the quality of the time how do you answer that question how do what what is your opinion of quality versus quantity time when it comes to the raising of children well in order to have quality time quantity is required um it is not possible to have quality time with a child that you never see or Mm -hmm. that you see rarely or you're not at your best. I mean, or, we're all or you don't even know days. sometimes, you know, or you don't, right. you really don't even know. Listen, you got, you got parents sending, you know, two and a half and three year olds to these daycare centers and preschools. Uh, they, they drop them off in the wee hours in the morning. They pick them up at five in the afternoon. They throw some food into them, put them in front of a, a Game Boy or something, and off to bed they go. They don't spend any time with their parents. They, they're, they're well, just. I, I would say that. Yeah. I would say that mostly at the end of the day, everybody's pretty tired, including the children. So it would be mm-hmm. pretty, pretty hard to get quality time in when people are hungry and tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and trying to cram it into a Saturday or a Sunday, and then you want the kids to be involved with maybe softball or some other sport or activity. You know, where's the time where you interact truly with your children that's 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 been always been my question when it came to this idea of how do you define quality time and it it never made any sense to me why do we have to have kids that are raised by everybody else but their parents because it's the everybody else of the daycare center it's the everybody else in the public school system that is influencing your child for you know you take away the sleeping hours of a child during the course of a week and you may just have a couple of hours a day maximum. Everybody else has got access six, seven, eight, ten, and even twelve hours a day. 
How do you overcome that and say that I can fix it? Maybe by going to our church on Sunday, if you have, some people never get there, or making it all up with, let's go out for ice cream or something, you know, today. I mean, or let's go to the mall today. And all your kids want to do is look at the newest uh, electronic game or, or, or telephone. Yes, and, and another thing, too, as far as homeschooling goes, it's impossible to teach your children without a worldview. So if you're sending mm-hmm. your child to public school, they're being taught a humanistic worldview. Amen. They're being taught a worldview that is not what you want your children to learn if you're Absolutely. a Christian. Absolutely. You're correct. Absolutely. And, and it, while, look, I, I know in some parts of the country, because I've been around them, um, it's not a big problem yet, but increasingly it will be a problem. In some places, I never would have expected the schools to become so secular-minded. Uh, they have done so in a period of 10, 20, or 30 years. There's still a few little yes. bastions <laughs> left, but they're, they're becoming the minority. Uh, I would imagine in— yes, well, I- my theory on that is that, and I live in a smaller town that used to be conservative, the school district, it is no longer. My theory on that is that the, the conservatives sent all their children to the liberal universities mm-hmm. and they all came back to raise their kids. So it's completely changed the culture. You know, the when, when you look at, when you look at the, at governments that have tried to, to become absolute rulers, and I don't care, you can go across time. You can go back 50 years, 100, 500, or 1,000. It has always been for the despot trying to take over. They have to grab the young generation and control their thought, their processes, mm-hmm. their education to make sure that they become you know, lovers of the state willing to rat out their parents. And literally, then that's what they did during yeah. the Soviet years. Yeah. They did that in Nazi Germany. You know, that you 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 conform to the desires of the state and, and your parents. Well, they're, they're trying to damage you by, by not allowing you to participate in these wonderful things that we have to offer for you. And so and I see it happening here in America. One of the things that I've noticed, and maybe you can, maybe you've seen it in your part of the world, over the past 30 years, the number of administrators that have large paychecks in the public school system has risen exponentially. I mean, these people come out of college, work their way up the educational uh, you know, ladder, and now they're administrators, and most of them hold on to this, what I call, woke ideology. Uh, They believe that climate change is the most important thing to teach a kindergartner. Their sexuality must be determined by the first grade. And their gender, well, it's fluid too. And and all these, where this satanic, and that's what I call it, mindset comes from that is polluted. That is, we have people that are literally, as it says in 2 Thessalonians, they're delusional. That's the word that St. Paul uses. They are absolutely delusional, believing the yeah. lie and rejecting the truth that's right before them. Yeah. And now they want your yeah, children to that. buy into that lie. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because parents, too many of today's parents, or like grandparents in my case, we didn't have a bad experience in our education. I, I went as a child to a parochial school through the eighth grade. 
Then I went to a public school. But a lot of the people in that public school, you, they, were, they were definitely Christian people. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But then again, in high school, I was also in a small rural community uh, near Lake Ontario. I had been in New York City area in a, in a, in a parochial school, but, but it was a different world. Today, that world doesn't exist. And you're right. The, the edu- the, it started in the colleges to, you know, the, the, the generation that took over the colleges in the 70s and got entrenched by the 80s and 90s are now in full control by the time we hit the year 2000. And so those that are being graduated in order to get their good grade point average must assimilate to the thinking process of the school, the university, and a certain political persuasion. I mean, you have to accept these things or you're not going to be considered, you know, worthy in our society. And these are the ones that are taking over even small town education. They've already got the big cities and now they're coming for the small towns. So how quickly did it change in the community? You're living, you say, in in a more rural part of the state of Michigan. Uh, by the way, coming from California, how has the experience of of the different, shall we say, climate and weather been in that move? <laughs> Very different, but I do like the four seasons, and I wouldn't change it because children love to play in the snow. And mm-hmm. plus, I I feel like the four seasons very much, um, very much kind of. It's like the seasons of life. And so mm-hmm. God and his timing and the perfect seasons, I, I love to watch the cycle of life and the seasons. Um, but as far as the liberal mindset, so I'm from Orange County, California. My best friend of over 35 years still lives in Orange County. And she said it has now become liberal there. It was always conservative, always Christian Mm -hmm. when we were growing up. And like I said, it's all the kids coming back that are now adults raising their kids. They've all been sent to liberal universities. And um, I had a neighbor when I lived in California. He was elderly, and he told me about his four children. He said all of them were raised very conservative and Christian. And he said, I sent them all to university. He said they're not recognizable anymore. Mm -hmm. They're all very liberal, and I don't know how much that they are, you know, the Christian kind of gets sucked out of them um, to take on that more kind of humanistic um, worldview. Uh, so it's it's really, you know, Christians do not want their children to be indoctrinated in these schools. And if you abdicate your parental authority and send your children to these schools, they're going to take on. And I've seen their own parents start to take on this ideology. They want and to be God accepted. They just, they just want to be accepted. You know, because you don't want to go against the grain of your community. And you're right. When you're talking about southern certain parts of Southern California, like Orange County, um, I can remember visiting over the years in my work. And I even have long. I'll tell you the story some other day. But I traveled several times to parts of California in the 80s and in the in the 90s. And Mm -hmm. you're right. You could be in some parts of California, like Los Angeles, and there was one set of values. Then you got into Orange County or down towards San Diego or up toward the the high desert, and everything changed on a dime. I mean, it really did. Mm -hmm. And, And even like Simi Valley, California, for example, I've been even in recent times, it's still one of the last uh, 
vestiges of some conservative thinking in Simi Valley. But even that's at mm. risk. I mean, these days, I'm sure that will change in time. There's no doubt about it. As you said, and you, you, you hit the nail on the head, we send our children who will be teaching the next generation to our colleges and universities that are now busy trying to undo anything that you've instilled in your child. And by peer pressure, they, they take stuff out and refill it with something new. And you're right. Four years later, your child is barely recognizable in terms of their attitude about life, the language coming out of their mouth, and the values that they um, want to instill on their children when they come along. Right. And I think it's easy to do that. And the reason why it's easy is because as Christians, we know that we need to delay gratification. We need, we need to... Um, make decisions that are difficult sometimes, whereas these liberal entities, they're like, oh, you don't have to do this. You can just be happy. You can do whatever is going to make you happy. Well, happiness is not indulging in pleasures. That's mm-hmm. temporary. Happiness is delaying gratification and doing what is just and what is true and what is right, and that's what God teaches us in His Word. So these kids are going from pleasure to pleasure to pleasure to pleasure, are also being indoctrinated at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it's very easy to indoctrinate a child because you can tell them, oh, you don't have to do that if you don't want to. You need to do what feels good. See, that's the devil right there. Amen. Look, go back to the 1960s. I was still just a a kid and finishing elementary school and and junior high and entering high school. And the counterculture was just beginning to be noticed for the first time, a real counterculture. Call it the hippie generation, call it whatever you want to call it, the the flower children, the the ones that rejected the moral norms of the time. Um, By the 70s, you had Crosby, Stills, and Nash singing songs like Love the One You're With. There's no commitment. It's just what it it is what it is for the moment. And and these are the ones, you know, they were counterculture. And, you know, you listen to the music, you didn't think much of it. But what we didn't realize is they're the ones that then went through the college ranks into the job market, and they are now the ones in the leadership positions today in our country. They're the senior le- they're the senior leadership. They're the ones that are just retiring, and they have been doing their damage since the 1990s and 2000s on a steady and methodical pace. And, and more important today, we're coming into a time, I believe. I believe that our faith is going to be the most important possession we have. One of my regular guests on this program says, you don't know how much Jesus is until Jesus is all you have. And and he's 100% right. Uh, We have given up, I think, on the admonition of raising our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We're raising them in the fear and admonition of the state and their own personal desires. And, and and this is a dangerous thing, and I think God's going to hold parents very accountable. And, and I think the price we're about to pay in our culture is going to be huge. What when you look at what is what is the most important thing? Of course, your husband is important in your life, just like you know in, in a marriage. That's how it should be. But for you and your husband, and even your your children, what is the most important thing in your life? That would be Jesus Christ, God, our Lord and Savior. And the reason is, is 
I, you know, when people don't believe in anything, I often ask them, well, where did you come from? Who created you? You didn't create yourself. We all know that there is something mysterious, miraculous, and beautiful about being alive and being able to breathe Mm -hmm. and have free will and think. Where did that come from? And so we center our lives around our creator, the one that, that, that created us and knew us before we were born and even conceived. And what is his purpose? Because really what it comes down to is his purpose is all that matters. Amen. Everything around us is going to be ashes. It doesn't matter, really. Truly, mm-hmm. it doesn't. The only thing that matters is the one that created us. And what are we to do with the time that he's given us here? Amen. Amen. Leah, before we close out the program today, and we're going to be running out of time in, in just a few minutes, is there is there anything that we missed in our conversation? Because I really believe, look, uh, for some of the listeners that we have uh, talking about homeschooling, may you know it may have not been the most thrilling topic of the day, but we, we need to, as Christians and even as parents and grandparents, and in some cases, great grandparents. We need to invest our time in helping those that want to educate their children, maybe support their church in developing a a homeschool, you know, co-op, as you call it, or resource center. I mean, that's the least that I think even a small church could do, even a small church. I don't care if it's 30 or 40 members to have a, a small room or place set aside where parents can meet and have resources that they can leave and have access to. There's so many opportunities if we do that. Uh, real fast question. There are, there are. You know, curriculum. How did you find your curriculum? Well, I, you know, I, I as far as curriculum goes, um, I belonged to a homeschool group when I first started. And so I would ask the other moms, um, you know, what they use. Um, you can, I, there's a curriculum called beautiful feet, um, mm-hmm. curriculum. And that that's teaching children from picture books when they're young and being able to understand, um, the stories that are alive rather than just these dead textbooks. And then that, that gets the children much more interested. They want to know more and more and more. And so it just turns into many lively, um, discussions, but, I, you know, I personally use a um, packaged curriculum, a, a Christian curriculum, where it has the lesson plans done for you. <laughs> that is possible mm-hmm. um, to do something like that. I teach my children reading. A lot of parents are scared about teaching their children to read. I use Phonics Pathways. Mm-hmm. It costs $20 and maybe 10 minutes a day, no planning, and they, they know how to read. Amen. After Wonderful. you get through the book. So it, it really is quite simple. I think the public schools try to make it seem so mysterious and complex that it really stimmies from parents to want to even try. And so a lot of people try to homeschool using the public school curriculum because it's quote free or they give money to, you know, teach certain classes and things like that to the parents. I highly recommend to stay way away from school at home from the public schools, as Christians, you need to use your own curriculum from private sources. Otherwise, you're just basically teaching your children the same thing at home that the public school wants to teach your children at the public school. Their curriculum is very dumbing down. It's not, it's not rich, it's boring, and it's very time-consuming. You can teach your children in a much 
quicker way that is much more enjoyable for both the parent and the child. When people think that they can't homeschool, um, I just want to encourage anyone that is considering homeschooling that you can homeschool and that there are so many opportunities to do so and nothing, if the Lord wills you to homeschool your children, you can homeschool your children. And all those fears are just from the evil one trying to make you feel like you can't do something when you actually can. We are free to choose and to follow the Lord. Leah, I want to thank you for taking the time to be my guest today on Truth to Ponder. My guest my guest has been Leah Gurton, and she is a homeschool mother who's been doing this for a number of years. And I've thought about bringing a program to you about homeschooling. I know for some of you, it's not the headlines of the day. It's not a lot of the heavy news or things to be concerned about. But truly, education is something we all, as Christians, need to be deeply concerned about. It's our responsibility. We can worry about the news headlines, war, rumors of war, earthquakes, end of time, all of that, and the Antichrist. But if we're handing our children over willingly, our grandchildren willingly, to the state to be educated, are we not um, are we not not listening to what our Lord has commanded us to do in the nurturing and the raising of our children? During the pandemic, we learned something. Churches were caught off guard. Their doors were closed in many places. There's still some churches that are deathly afraid of the virus. And many people will never return. Many families left the church never to return. We have families today that they claim to be followers of Christ, but they let their children decide if they're going to church. Parents are no longer in control. And and the state indoctrination centers enforce that in children. Don't listen to all those things your parents tell you or teach you. They're probably not correct. It's up to you to make the decision on how to raise your children. It is up to the church, like it or not, to be a participant and do all that the church, the body of Christ, the community of believers can do to assist parents in achieving that godly goal. I mean, we really are, we really are called to do that. Churches can be a resource center. Churches need to work together to take back what was taken from them, the responsibility of raising and helping parents in raising their children in a total and agreeable partnership. That's been long gone for, for way too long. Can we redeem this generation? I don't know. But even though we may not be able to, doesn't mean we don't try to. Now, before I run out of time, remember, we are on shortwave radio and that airtime, the bill comes due at the beginning of each month. And we're trying to expand that outreach. If you can help us in continuing on shortwave, would you consider a gift, large or small, made out to Ancient Word Radio, Ancient Word Radio, And our mailing address is Truth to Ponder, 5753 Highway 85 North, number 3248. 5753 Highway 85 North, number 3248. And we are in Crestview, Florida. Crestview, Florida. And the zip code is 32536. 
That zip code again is 32536. And I'll thank you in advance for what you do for this radio ministry. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, Truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's Truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.